benefited from that. I know Sister Maggie says she does. <laughs> she said, I don't know a lot of these songs that y'all do. <clears throat> so tonight, um, of course, Brother Josh was gone. He's with the youth. With They're seeing uh, Brother Single for the first time give a word other than the one he gives here on Wednesday nights. Um, so that's good. I'm glad that they're able to be there. And then Brother Scott is on call for water duty, so that that means it's my turn. We went to the nursing home today, and that was really good. We didn't have as big a turnout because it seems that they didn't have us on there. So we're going to have to call in advance and try and get it on the schedule. But we did see Miss Lenora, and she was well, and she said hi. And it was it was good to see her. And then um, there were several people there that weren't able to be. They're not able to come anymore, which really, I mean, it really does sadden your heart. Physically, they're just not able to. And I went and saw one. Um, and she said that her, her mom, this, this is what just gets me. This woman's in the nursing home and she's worried about her mother because she says, brother, my, my mother's not doing well. And I was thinking to myself, your mother's not doing well. Bless your heart. You're not doing well. You can't even get out of the bed. And she used to come. So y'all, I know we do pray. I know we pray for one another, but pray for them, please pray for them because they, many of them, they're just stuck there and come to find out the from talking to them, the nursing home changed hands. And since it changed hands at the end of the year, they didn't get to have an end of the year celebration. They didn't get to do anything on New Year's Day. And I, from what I can understand, we're the first ones to show up this year. So they've just been without anything. So let's pray for them. Let's see, let's see that, you know, God will do something on their behalf. That the other churches will get back in there and we'll go. We didn't call. We just showed up. And that's what we plan on doing from now on. They're not going to tell us that we can't get in because now there's no restrictions. If you were worried before, there's no nothing to print out and put on yourself. You just walk in and you go to the room. So it would be nice. Some of you, it would be nice if you could see what it's like. Tonight, I just want to talk with you guys about who I am, but that's in Christ. Who am I? Who am I right now in Christ Jesus? If you would stand for the reading of the Word Matthew chapter 16, 13 through 16. We've heard this preached, I have, many, many times in my life because this is one of the greatest revelations that we can find in the Word of God. It's the first time that I can honestly say from my reading that man said who Christ was. I can't find it anywhere else. This is the first time. And we're just going to read this brief little piece of Scripture. But in 16 and 13, we know who, who confessed this. Peter. Peter did. Peter was the one who was the most outgoing. The thing about being outgoing is you're wrong a lot. You are. You have a tendency to be wrong. You, you read things wrong. You read people wrong. Um, he walked on water and then he realized, whoa, I shouldn't be walking on water. And sometimes there's so, such a thing as be still and know that I'm God is real, people, but it still means to walk. It means to walk in what you have and to continue moving on. We don't just sit and wait for God to speak. God speaks every time you read His Word. He should be speaking to you every time that you pray. He should be speaking to you throughout the day because you are filled with the Spirit. And that's what Peter does right here. He listens to what the Lord has to say. So, in Matthew 16, 13 through 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He was asking His disciples, Who do they say the Son of Man is? Then He says, And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah. But still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And of course, it's Simon. Simon Peter answered, 
You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You would bow your heads. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to stand here. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that my words be your words, Lord, that your word goes out and it does not return void. Father, if there's a need in this place tonight, Lord, we know that your hand is not slack, that you can fulfill it. We know that you can touch, whether it be physical, spiritual, mental, whatever it might be. God, I just ask that you move, as you do each time we come together, that these, these principles can be ingrained in who we are, that we can see who we are in you. And it matters not what we are in this world. What matters is who we are in Christ Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, the, the question that Jesus asks... First, he asks his disciples. He says, who do people say the Son of Man is? Who do they say I am? Do you ever ask people, I'm not saying to go and do this, but have you ever had somebody come and tell you, well, this is what people say about you? I've had plenty of people say things about me. And, and some of them are true, and some of them are terribly wrong. Some of them, they know part of the truth. They know a piece of the truth. They don't know the whole truth. But they still speak whatever it is that they know. That's like humanity. That's why gossiping is one of those sins that's listed specifically in the Word of God. Don't be a gossip. God hates that. Literally hates that. So in discord among the brethren. God hates that. There are certain things. Proverbs 6 and 6. 6, He hates them. Don't do that. If you don't know something for sure and you want to know, why don't you go and ask the individual? And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's not sitting there pondering it and worried about it and He's conflicted in who He is. He's the Son of God. And He knows that. He knows that He's God in the flesh, but He still, He needs to figure out what they think. It's important that we know what the people that we fellowship with think. It's important that we know what our friends think, our acquaintances think. I have many people that I work with that I love dearly. I really do. But I would never, ever, ever do anything with them outside of work. Because they would not like the things I do, and there is no way I'm going to do the things that they do. It's an impossibility. You will not find me where they find themselves. I see them on Facebook. I'm not going to be there. That is not a place for me. And that is not a judgment. That is just where God has Brother Matt almost 11 years into his salvation. That's not where I need to be. I've grown past those things. I understand what Paul says. Paul says this, I can do all things because I have liberty to do all things. But here's the question you must ask yourself. Is what you're doing right now in your Christian life, is it benefiting the others around you? Because if it's not beneficial to the kingdom of God, stop doing it. Stop. The Word of God says to seek what? His righteousness and His kingdom. If the things that you are doing in your life are not bringing that to fruition in your life, stop it. It's a simple thing. It sounds simple, right? Stop it. How many times have you told a kid, ah, stop it? Don't do it. Stop it. I have a dog that I bought my wife because I love her so much. And I bought this dog for her. And he has got to be the most ignorant of his breed that God ever bred. He does not understand anything. And I don't understand it. And I love him because he's just a big goofy dog. right? I love him, but I'm like, I just get him and I say, what are you thinking? Well, you just did right for like a whole day. What do you think God feels about us? For a whole day, my life has lived in Christ Jesus and I testify and I shine His light forth and then boom. What is? Do you don't think God doesn't grab me at times and just stop me and go, what are you thinking? You were doing so good. You were running your race so well. What has beset you? What is it? 
And it's the things that I, in my life, I know I've told them this. We've talked about this this day. I know the things that so easily beset me. That's why the Word of God says, cast them aside. Move them out of the way. Stay away from those things. Don't be around those people. Make sure you're not in the vicinity of that. Be careful. So he asks a question. Here's, here's my thing. We are labeled and often misrepresented, and that often steers how others view us. That's just the truth is. If I have confidence in what Sister Kayla says, and I do, I love her, I believe her, I've known her long enough to know that she tells the truth. If she were to tell me that this certain person was this way, I would be led to believe that because I trust her, correct? But there's people who trust people who tell lies all the time. That's a reality. And there's another side to that is don't ever tell anybody something that you don't want something to know. Because you know what? Everybody trusts somebody else. You know who I trust is God. I don't tell nobody else. There's just some things you don't tell other people because it sows discord. It causes problems. You, you keep it to yourself. It's between you and God. Because I can tell my wife, but my wife trusts Jennifer McCann and she's going to tell her. Because, and she should, y'all, because they have a great relationship. And then Jennifer's going to trust somebody and she's going to tell them too. In confidence. In confidence. So Jesus is asking them, who do they say I am? Did you see them stop or stutter or kind of do like this and say, Lord, no, they told Him immediately. Because they had confidence in who Christ was and that He would receive what they said. Can you receive what other people say about you? That's a big deal. If someone were to come to me and say, Brother Matt, I think you're a little hard. I think you're too black and white. I don't think you have enough love and enough grace in your life. My first reaction is not going to be anger. It's going to be sincerity. I need to know sincerely from you, based on the Word of God and the actions that you see, along with another witness, how you see that in my life. Because guys, if that's in my life, it needs to be removed. It must be removed. Jesus asked the question of His disciples to see what they had heard and then to find out what they truly believed, who they believed He was. It's important who people think you are because there's a lot of people who are not your friend. They pretend to be your friend and you think they're your friend because they tell you everything you want to hear. But I know right now that are living a life of sin, they're caught in sin, their parents are great people in the church doing God's work, but they lied to their children and they told them that's okay. It's okay that you do that. It's okay that you go and do that. There's plenty of time to come back. That's not always how it works, is it? It isn't. Proverbs 29 and 1, it says, there's coming a time whenever click just like that. So you're going to be broken and it's going to be without remedy. There's no coming back from that. It's an impossibility. Here's what, here's what Jesus, here's what they told Him. They told Him all these things that other people said. He didn't sell up and go, well... God, they don't even know that I'm the Son of Man. That Jesus Christ was the most awesome, biggest deal, if you want to put it in the world's term, of anyone to ever step onto this planet. There's never has been and never will be until the day He comes back to rule and reign for all of eternity. Right? You would have thought that He came to His own, but what does the Word say? His, his own knew Him not. You know, that's how it feels even to us sometimes is, you go to who you think are your own because they call themselves Christians. They're fellow Christians. They may be of another denomination. They may be in your own church. And you go to them and you're not received. Now, what's the reason behind that? Why 
Why did the Pharisee of Jesus Christ? Because Jesus was who He was and He was not ashamed to say who He was. So then He goes and He tells them exactly who He is. But who do you say I am? Well, I say you're, you're Jesus. You're the Son of the living God. That's, that's a really big affirmation. He just said a mouthful. You once were blind. You once were lost and blind, but what are you now? You what? Now you see. And now you hear. That's who you were. We all were lost in our trespasses and sins. The Word of God says such was some of you. I used to be terrible things. Guess what? There's still iniquity in me. And God is working that out and purging me. Walk in this life and walk day by day and trying to actually live out the Word of God is not the easiest thing to do. Just because I've been endued with power from on high, I've been filled with the Spirit, my flesh is still so alive at times. And it hinders my walk with God. It hinders my walk with my marriage, with my children, with the people that I work with, the attitudes that I have. But now that Jesus speaks to the Father on your behalf, what does Jesus say we are? That's the question that I would like to answer now. We know who we were. Everybody in here knows who you were. You were lost in your trespasses and sin. We love amazing grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. There was a time whenever your ear was deaf. You could not hear the Word of God. And when you did hear it, it made no sense. It had no effect on who you were because you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But now... But now we see something different. Those of you, I'm going to go through this. Luke chapter 19, if you would like to turn there. Um, it's not going to be on the screens. I turn and read, so this is slower. I know that's terrible for some people, but it's, that's just how it is. So, who does Jesus say we are? Well, let's see who, who we were and what Jesus says about who we were. Everybody remembers Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus was a pretty horrible individual. He was a tax collector. He was the scourge of the earth as far as a Jew. You were turning on your own people and collecting taxes from your own people to give to the Romans who were oppressing your people. So here's the thing is, you were working for those who were oppressing you and then you were getting paid to take from your fellow countrymen. That's why we, those of us who have watched it, we've seen on there, what was the deal with Matthew? Matthew was exiled. Those were exiled from their family. You talk about people being excommunicated from the church. They were not a part of their family anymore. If you were a tax collector and you were a Jew, you were never to be a Jew. You could never be saved. That was irreparable. Harm had been done to who you were, not only to you, but to your family, to their name. So let's look at Zacchaeus. Where is Zacchaeus? He's in a tree, right? We all understand he's a little guy. Some of us know what that's like being a little guy, being small, even in your mindset, the way you see him. But God sees everyone and He meets everyone where they are. So that day, Luke 19, 8 through 10, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said, listen to what Jesus said to him. Today salvation has come to this house because He too is the son of Abraham. That's that seed of promise that we talked about Who's the son of Abraham? Zacchaeus. Salvation has come to this house today because Zacchaeus, you once were lost, but now you're found. You once were blind, but now you see. That's who we all were, each and every one of us. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. We were all lost, but now we're found. Now we can hear, now we can see, now we can discern the mystery of what Jesus Christ and the Gospel as we know it 
It's been revealed to us. Because His Spirit lives where, believer? We're indwelt by the Spirit of God. So what did Zacchaeus learn that day? He was lost. But I love the way that it says that. Because Jesus said, salvation has come today. Today, Zacchaeus, you are saved. That's amazing. I love that. Me personally, because I remember whenever I actually saw myself for who I was and I was converted and that's been my life since then has been the conversion and then being converted and converted and converted. Every day after day after day, these things falling off the sin leaving my life. So Zacchaeus experienced a true conversion. How do we know that his conversion was true? Because Jesus Christ said so. He said salvation has come today. He didn't say just for today. The man was saved. He was as if he were new. And now he can go away and live his life. That's what you and I have. John 10 and 10. Y'all know this one. What did, the, what did Jesus come to give us? An abundant life. And what did Satan come to do? Kill, steal, and destroy. So John 10 and 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life. And here's the part, and have it abundantly. Now that abundant life, I'm not saying that the Lord doesn't take care of our provisions. Is there, Everybody in here is pretty well off. We really are, especially compared to someone in a third world country. We don't see ourselves as well off because we don't have all the things we think we should have. But if you wake up and you turn your water on and flush a toilet, then you're better than about 95% of the people in a, in a third world country. Now we're talking about, with a B, billions of people live their lives without the very basic things that we take for granted every day. There are people that walk to a watering hole and carry buckets on their head with gallons of water and walk miles every day, and I can waste 500 gallons of water or 10,000 filling up a swimming pool. That's an abundant life. Now see, what the problem that we have is, is we want our abundance to be the money that we get so that we can live lavishly. That's not what the Word of God says. That's not what He's trying to say. Jesus came to give abundant life, and that is eternal life. You want to talk about the most abundant thing you have? 22-22 in the Greek. That is true life in Christ that leads to eternal life in bliss with God. That's your abundant life. But people don't want to believe that because my life is hard. Because I can't have what I want and I can't go on as many vacations as I want to. and I can't get as many days off of work as I want to. and I can't believe that I, gotta, I can't have the nice tires that the other guy has. That's not what he's talking about. If you remember the last time that I had the privilege to stand here, I talked about true prosperity. True prosperity has nothing to do with what you receive, but what the kingdom of God receives from the labors that you put into it. But that doesn't go over very well either. Because this is about me. This life has taught us one thing. It's about me. We are an individualistic society. Collectivism is what you see overseas. It's us. Here it's me, 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 I, I, I. What benefits me? No, what benefits this church and this body? That's what we should be about. And that's the Father's business. The Word of God says that I myself, I should put your and your and your and your needs above my own. But you know what that takes? That takes death to self. And that's truly convicting when you stop and think about it. It should be. Because I don't know anybody who does it, including myself. And I'm, a, I'm very poor at it. And I try. I literally try to do that, and I still fail horribly. And there are people everywhere in churches tonight that they don't even know that truth because they've never read the Word of God. 
They think that their abundance is what the preacher is preaching from the church right now that has 700 to 10,000 people in it. It's prosperity. Well, sure it is for him because he's got millions of dollars. What does he have to worry about? That's discouraging. It should be really upsetting for a lot of people. We need to pray for the people who are being deceived. There are so many people being deceived into something that is a false gospel. And as soon as, we're going back to the parable of the 30, 60, and the 100, the sower, as soon as adversity comes into their life, what happens? They're like that weed that the sun comes out. In other words, they face the first time they face adversity and they're gone. You know why? Because someone taught them that that was not the way it was going to be. It was going to be a bed of roses and everything would be perfect. Has anybody experienced that? I certainly have not. But you know what? I'm better for it. And we all are better for it. So he says, now, who am I in Christ? I'm one who's inherited eternal life. That's what, that's what Jesus says. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. We've been on the Sermon on the Mount. What does Jesus say? Who does he say I am? Who am I in him? Matthew 5, verse 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Listen, guys, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You're a light, so shine. Shine. If you are, and that's what he says, do you put a basket over it? If you leave this fellowship tonight, and tomorrow you go to work, or you go to the dollar store, and you are not who you are when you're here, you are a hypocrite. You don't put a basket over who you are and you walk out of here and you live like the world and think you're going to be effective for the kingdom of God. It's impossible. The whole point of leaving here, hearing the Word, praying, seeking God, is that my light will shine. And that when that light shines, other people will see it. We're the light of the world. What a privilege. Yeah, it is, Brother Matt. It, it is a privilege, but it's also a burden for many because they're trying to do it in themselves. Or they're fake. But you know what my Savior said? Jesus Christ Himself said, I was a light. So shine, guys. That's a positive thing. He didn't say you might have the opportunity to someday be a light if you do this. He said you are a light. So shine. That's what my Jesus sees when He looks at this vessel. is one who shines. I pray in Jesus' name that I really am shining. Because if I'm not, then I'm doing a terrible job of emulating the teachings in this Word. And that's all He asked us to do was learn of me. Learn of me and do that which I did so that others might see who I am and in that day they might worship Him and bend their knee because He's their Father too. He's their Savior too. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17-19 through 19. This continues to come up and there's, there's a, a really good reason for it because this was never taught to me until we saw it and I learned it myself because nobody preached it. All of these things that He tells me are awesome things and they should encourage you tonight. But understand, every one of these things are also a responsibility on your part. So, 2 Corinthians 5.17, man, we know this one. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. I love that. 
Because I need all those old things to have passed away. I need everything to become new because I can't be who I once was. And there's impossible for me to do that in myself. Because see, that's what I did. For a long time, I was fake. And I lived my life. I was in a band that was called Thy Will Be Done and we played music. And I was a sinner and I was horrible, horrible, horrible. But I played the part perfect. But behind closed doors, why can I stand here and preach this message? Because I was that hypocrite. I was that person who led a double life. Do you know how harmful that is to other people? Because here's the thing, you can only do that for so long until it catches up with you. Why is that? Because the Word of God says this, there's coming a day when the things that are done in darkness will be revealed in the light. And I'm going to say this, believer, you better pray that that happens this side of the grave. You better pray that happens before you're actually judged for all eternity. That it happens here and you have time to deal with it so that you don't burn for the rest of your life in a lake of fire and brimstone. That's the reality of this Word. Most people stop at 17 because that's really uplifting. Thank you, Lord, I, I am not what I was. But how about 18? Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And I know you all have heard that. The preacher just said that just the last time on the night. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, as He was committed us the world of reconciliation. We are supposed to be reconciling people to God through the life we live. Right? Not that I have the power. I wish I did. I'm not going to lie. And see, that's why, that's why we have to be careful how we pray. How nice would it be for me to, when my grandchildren are born, because I pray to God I have some someday, that when they come out of that womb, and the first time that I ever see them, I walk in there and I lay my hands on that little child. And I say, in Jesus' name, be saved. Spend eternity with me for forever. You don't think I wouldn't do that if I had the power? But we don't have that power. But I'll tell you what I do have. I have the power that once that little life comes into my life, to nurture it, to love that child, and to raise them up in the admonition of the Lord, and to teach Him everything about Him, and to live my life in a way that He sees that there's got to be something different, because as He looks and He grows, He looks at a world that's lost and dying, and He goes, something's different about my papa. Something about Him is different, and I don't know what it is. But I sure want to be like that someday. That's our job. That's the job for these children right here. That's our job. Our job is to be ministers of reconciliation, first and foremost, in our own house. Listen, if your house, if you're not real at home, you're not real anywhere. I'm just being honest with you. you that can get all over people, and they can say what they want, but you want to know who a person really is, you ask their children. Because your wife, here's the thing is, my wife, she'll tell you some terrible things about me because she'll get angry and do that. But there's some things she's not because she don't want to compromise maybe my position in the church, maybe her position where she stands, right? She doesn't want to bring shame on our name. She definitely doesn't want you to know about who we were before we were saved. I don't want you to. God, I hope none of you do, right? But when you talk to it, you don't even have to ask a kid. You can just say, hey, how, how is, do we need to pray for anybody? You really should pray for my mom and dad. Yeah, guys, if you've ever taught Sunday school, if you've ever had, you know what I'm talking about. They will reveal the thing, the one, and here's the thing. Things have been going great at home. Really have. But there's one time that something just pops off 
That's the one thing they bring up. It doesn't matter. Hey, every night before I go to bed, we kneel by the bed and we pray. And I'm learning some memory verses and we're going through the Bible and they're reading to me and they bought me. No, it's that one thing. It's that one thing. But you see, that one thing should bring to light that we, we still have some work to do. As ministers of reconciliation, we really do. When I have a bad attitude, which I have quite often, because here's the reality of it, we're all dealing with some things that are pretty heavy. My life has been wrecked in ways that I never thought it would, not at 44 years old, right? I'm dealing with things within my family, within my marriage, within my every. that's just, oh my goodness, Lord. But you know, you know where my hope comes from? It comes from the Lord. It comes from when I stand here and I speak. It comes from whenever I worship Him in song. It comes from when I fellowship with you guys on Wednesday nights. I don't have a function Wednesday night. I just come here because I want to be here and I love being here. And I can talk to the kids and I can see what's happening. I can sit in the office and listen to the music in here because I'm not coming in here because my ears. I can hear it plenty good in there, right? But there's a reason that I want to be around God's people. There's a reason I want to be around these people. I want them to be reconciled to God. Because it's what I've said in Sunday school and I will continue to say, it is the hardest thing to take a person who is grown and mature and explain to them that the, that the God that they're supposed to fear is the same God that they should love and that when they get saved, they're being saved from God. The same God that's saving them is saving them from His wrath. So you're telling me that the God who's saving me is saving me from Himself? Most certainly. Y'all, that's hard to explain. Now, these children right here, they may not fully understand that, but because we receive that as fellow believers in here and their parents do, they'll teach them that. Franklin will know that. Benjamin will know that. Why? Because they're going to tell him that. And they're going to say, baby, I know you don't understand this. Because guess what? I tell them all the time, because I don't fully understand it either. But, but God, the God who is saving me, is saving me from Him. I'm not being saved from Satan. Satan has no power. I'm being saved from God and His wrath being poured out. Well, that's kind of hard to wrap your mind around. Why do we need to live the way we should? Because we're ministers of reconciliation and we, living our life, are trying to help others see that they can be reconciled to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I love it. Paul's talking and he says, I was all things to all people so that some might be saved. Now, he wasn't saying that that he went along and everybody that was gay, he went and he was gay. And everybody that was cheating on their wife, he went and hung out with them. And everybody that got drunk every weekend, he went and hung out with them. That's not what he was saying. But let me explain something to you. All those people that I just talked about, there's commonality that I have because I'm a human being. I, there's not a person I've ever come into contact with that I can't find a common thread with. Something that Brother Gene said, I know I say that a lot, but early on in my when I was saved and converted, he was teaching the class and I listened to him because he had a lot of things to say. And he said, he said this in a teaching one time. He said, look, everybody, whether it be in the physical world, like working or in the spiritual, has something to give, something to teach you. He said, here's my example. There's a man on a job and that man has been, he's got a shovel. He's not the, he's not the smartest man there, Right. He's, he, he may be the dumbest man on the job. That's a possibility. He's not running the company. He's not a carpenter. But I tell you what, if that man's been using that shovel for 20 or 30 years, you ask that man how to dig a hole. You ask that man how to use that shovel. He knows how to use that shovel. 
I just, if it's a shovel, I just want to be a shovel. But I want to be using that shovel right. I want to be in the right place. I want to be doing what I'm supposed to do for the Lord. Everybody in this church has something to give to the people outside of this church. It doesn't matter what you do. Don't ever, when Jesus Christ looks at you, when the world looks at you, they say, well, you're not the preacher. What do you know? Well, I know a whole lot because I listen and I learn and I read and I pray. There's a lot that I know because I go to church and I fellowship and I study and I labor in the Word. I know a whole lot. Don't ever let that be just because you're not in the spotlight, so to speak. Because the Word says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, He gives more favor to those uncomely parts. The parts that nobody does see. Because you know what? There's a lot of people that will never talk to Brother Matt because they know Brother Matt stands and preaches and he teaches. And they, he's a hard man. He would never understand that I'm caught in this sin. <laughs> oh yes, he would. Come and talk to me. Get to know who I am. And I'll tell you how that people who love me helped me understand what it was to be reconciled to God. That's who we have to be as a people. Because that's who Jesus sees us as. Romans 8, 28-37. That's a really good one that most of us all know. Um, it's very comforting to know that I serve a God who knows every single thing about me, everything that's going to happen from beginning to end. He's already seen my end, and yet He loves me. And yet He still loves me. Because you know what I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day? I'm going to make a mistake. I'm going to have an impure thought. I'm going to have an angry thought. I'm going to wonder why the person won't get in the right-hand lane so I can go to work. I mean, I, And I will because that's who I am. And I'm working on that. Thank you, Jesus. But Romans chapter 8, starting in 28, says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. Do you understand that? We're not just called, but we're called according to His purpose. That's why it says that we should seek his kingdom and His righteousness and His will. It can't be Brother Matt's will. It can't be. Because if I stood up here and just did what I wanted to do, this would be not meaningful to anyone. I may as well just sit down and let somebody come up here that actually knows what they're doing. It has to be with the right intent of the heart and the right frame of mind. Or don't do it. Please, don't. Then we move on. And he who searches the heart... <clears throat> I'm sorry, I lost my place. 8 and 28, 29. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn of many brethren. And those who He predestined, He also called. And those who He called, He justified. And those who He justified, He glorified. Thank you for the glorification. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? That's, that's very thought-provoking in itself. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. That's what I say. If Listen, I pray that if I'm ever wrong, truly wrong, that you will come to me and you will tell me. But please, when you come to me, and I'm not being arrogant, but you need to come to me with the Word of God and a witness. Just like it says... Please don't bring a charge against the person behind their back. Please don't charge somebody with something that's not true. But hear, hear this, Christian. First, first John tells us this, that his, his word is not supposed to be burdensome to those who are filled with His Spirit. So if you are doing wrong and someone comes alongside and tells you, just receive it. 
receive it. Because it's not about how I receive something, it's how I react to what I receive. We've got to do a better job of that as a people. I'm not saying here, I'm talking about as humanity. We have to do a better job. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is He who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just it is written, for you, you sake, your sake we are being put into death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. I never saw this before, but as I studied this, it made a whole lot more sense because they stick this verse in from the Old Testament. But let's remove that for a minute, not because of, but for context's sake. Let's read 35. Because this is what he says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. What do we conquer? Oh, I'll tell you what, we conquer tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and sword. You want to know where your hope lies? It lies in Jesus Christ. You want to know who He sees you as? He sees you as one who overwhelmingly conquers. Those who are completely and overwhelmingly victorious. That's who He sees me as. How often do you feel that way? Oh man, I'm so glad nobody raised their hand because I'm not alone. I would have hated to be the one standing up here and everyone else out there has it together. But you know what He sees when He sees me? That's what He sees. Because He sees my end. We need to keep that in mind. I'm not saying to go out there and be haughty and proud. I've got everything to get. You have nothing together. The only thing you have in your life that's good is God. But rest in that. The next time that you find yourself beset in sin, don't stay there. Call out to Him. Ask Him to forgive you. Move on. Move on. Because that's what He sees. That's what He says. He says, the Word says, it's First John, I keep going there, but it's so great. You should read that over and over and over if we will for, ask forgiveness, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins. I have to believe that because if not, I, I need to stop. 1 John 5 and 13. We're in 1 John. Believers have eternal life. This is the last one. But here's what, here's what the Lord tells me. He tells me I'm victorious. He just said not only that, but in all those things, all those terrible things that could tear me asunder, rip me out of the hand of God and destroy me, I, Matt McNeely, through Christ Jesus, are more than an overcomer. I conquer those things and not only conquer them, but also as a minister of reconciliation, other people see me conquer it and they come into the household of God. That's how we overcome. How do we overcome? And then other people see that and they wonder, we say all the time, what in the world is different about that guy? It's not his haircut. It's not his size. It's not any of that. I see people like that all the time. But there's something different about him. 1 John 5 and 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Is that you tonight? Do you truly believe? Believeth. Okay. It's believeth. It's active. It's alive. It's 4100 in the Greek. And it means this. That not only do I believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, but because I believe that, there's going to be changes in my life that conform my life to His teachings. That's what believeth means. It's active. It's alive. It's moment by moment, second by second. Can you say that about yourself? If you can, that's great. If not, there's reconciliation for that. That's the great part. So he says, then let's finish that thought. 
He says, so that you may know. Guys, you may know that you have eternal life. Please don't leave here tonight if you are not a saved person that way. If you are saved tonight, reconcile it in your heart tonight that He just said that this was written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life and you live in that for the rest of your life and you pursue Him with everything that you have. Everything you have. Every moment of your life. How hard is that? Brother Matt, that's impossible. Yeah, but nothing's impossible in Christ. Absolutely nothing. When it comes to God, everything's possible. You just got to die a little bit more. You, you need to die more so that He can live more. So what does that mean that I have eternal life? It means an awful lot. But Ephesians, how do we have... We like to, we like to prove things with context across the, the whole of the Bible. Ephesians tells us this. Chapter, Ephesians chapter 2, if you'd like to turn there. Ephesians 2, 17-22. What are we? What again does Jesus... What are we? Ephesians 2, 17. It says, And He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have our access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Do you know where the saints are right now? They're in heaven. Do you understand that? He says that you and I, because of the reconciliation, that you and I are fellow citizens with the saints. We're citizens of this country. No, we're citizens of something to come. That we're just passing through here and we don't even have to have a passport. All we have to have is the Spirit of God. That is our passport. Because when you get there, if you don't have the Spirit and the blood of Jesus Christ, you will not enter in. 20. Having built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Here's your part. In whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. We believers are supposed to inhabit. In other words, the Spirit of God lives within us. There's a, there's a void that was there. There's things that were taken out. And the more we die, the more Spirit we have. We, we have to rise up every day. We have to shake things off. The last one, 1 Peter 1 and 3. Those who will receive an inheritance. I, I read this and I'd never seen it. That's the thing about studying. That's the difference between studying and reading. I can read something and read it, but when I study it, I see it. So 1 Peter 1 and 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, 4, To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, where it reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So what he's telling me is this. I don't know that I will ever have an inheritance in this world. I don't know that I will. And I don't care if I do. Because I believe what the Word of God says that He will give me my daily bread. What I need every single day if I trust in Him and are seeking after Him, He'll add all those things to me that I need. I don't need money. I need Jesus. He will make the way. He will provide. But here's the thing. I have an inheritance in heaven right now that belongs to me. It's mine. And I love what he said on that last part. That's what I missed. He said reserved. You ever? There's restaurants where you need to make a reservation. 
Have you ever tried to get in a reserv uh, in a place that you didn't make a reservation? They're like, sorry, you have to make a reservation. You don't have to make the reservation, believer. He made it for you. Our Lord made a reservation for you in the kingdom of glory. And He says when you show up there, your inheritance will be there. That's something we can be confident in. I'm, it's encouraging. It needs to be encouraging for us because it doesn't matter who anybody that we ever knew in the past says we are because you know what they say I am? What I was. They don't know who I am now. You might want to get to know this new guy, this new believer. You might want to get to know the Jesus that I know and I can tell you what He did for me. That's how I help reconcile. Please be confident in who you are if that's who you truly are. And if you're not, don't stay that way. Do not stay that way. Because there is coming a day when it's all going to be over and there's nothing we can do after that. Who am I? Answer that for yourself tonight. Who am I in Christ? Not in my job. Not in my marriage or my family. Not even in this church. Because that doesn't even matter. Because if you're not in Christ, nothing else matters. Nothing. Are you tonight in Christ Jesus? If you are, this is just a smidgen of who He says you are. These are the best parts that I could, that I believe is encouraging that the Spirit spoke to me. But y'all, do you know what promises and what things are in here that He holds for us? But none greater than eternity with Him. If you would bow your heads. Father, thank You so much for the ability to be here tonight. God, in my physical body, in my mind, Lord, in my spirit. Father, I pray for those who gathered tonight. Father, and I pray for those who weren't able to, who are hindered by their bodies, Lord, that You would touch them where they are. Each one comes to mind, Lord, as I look across. Father, You see those who can't be here and the reasons they can, and You know their heart's desire. We know Your Word says that if they're truly seeking, that they will be back here among us. And Father, that's our prayer too. We bind with them tonight, Father. Those that we can't see, those that we haven't seen, God, that You would move on their behalf. Father, be with the youth tonight where they are. God, I pray that the Word was what it should be. It was yes and amen, and that it's impactful to their little lives. God, I pray that You would grow us as a people, Lord, not in numbers, God, but in our understanding and knowledge of who You are, that You would strengthen relationships within this body, God, so that we might grow up into that which You say, the fullness of who You are, because that's what we seek. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.